Good morning. Welcome to worship. Welcome to harvest meeting. Harvest. Harvest time. What do you think? Harvest. Harvest time. What comes into your mind? I'll just share with you my, my vision when I hear harvest and harvest time. I see acres and acres of golden heads of grain with the breeze blowing through them and they're waving just like the waves of the ocean. Western Kansas wheat fields just waiting for the reaper. And you know when I think about that there's another thing that enters my mind almost every time I think about that and they're the words of Jesus when he was teaching his disciples with intensity and the multitudes with intensity and his disciples worried about him not having anything to eat and he said to his disciples, he said, you know, you think it's going to be four months until there's harvest time. He said, I want you to look up and look out across these fields. And he said, they're already white and they're all ready for harvest. He was teaching them of the value of the harvest, the urgency of the harvest, and the intensity of the harvest. Now I want to think about what else he said. He said, I'm going to send you forth into that harvest and you're going to go where you've never labored and you're going to reap where you've never sown. I want to take that out of context for a moment and talk about it naturally. I think about the children of Israel when they came through the wilderness they came into a land, and Moses gave them the instruction of God, and he said, now you came from, a, from a, a land of bondage through a wilderness, and he said, now you're coming into a land, and he said, it's going to be one that's got cities that you didn't build. It's going to be one that's got abundance of resources and harvest in every way that you didn't have your hand raised to it all in labor. And he said, when you get there and you start that harvest and you enjoy that abundance of the land, bread without scarceness, he said, there's one thing I want you to do. He said, I want you to remember the source of the harvest. Don't you ever forget the source of the harvest or think that because You've done something, you're reaping the harvest. I suppose the context that Jesus was speaking here to his disciples was that Moses and the prophets had come and they had prepared the way for Christ and his gospel and now because of that preparation, we are free because of their labors to share the gospel with everyone we meet. 
Well, he spoke also here in this fourth chapter of John about the importance of sowing. You know, you just won't have a harvest unless you sow. So again, I'm thinking of, of the words of Jesus. And he starts out this message when he's preaching to a whole multitude down by the sea, so many that he went out into a boat so they could see him and hear him. And the first word he says is hearken. He said, now I want you to pay close attention. And that's my encouragement today. Let's pay close attention. Be careful how you hear. Hearken. Take heed. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. You know, there's going to be some seeds sown here today. Let's listen. And then he told about this seed that was sown. He said this sower just went forth and cast the seed out here. But he said some of it fell by the wayside. It didn't fall on fertile ground. Birds came and ate it right away. And he said, uh, some of it fell on stony ground. So it couldn't root down and it didn't produce any fruit either. And he said, some of it fell among the thorns and the thorns came in there and choked it out and it didn't produce fruit either. But he said, some of it fell on good ground and it brought forth 100%. Well, his disciples wondered what he was talking about, so he told them. He said that that went by the wayside. He said, Satan came in there and snatched up the word before it could ever take root. He said, that's the way it is on stony ground. It might take root for a little bit. But then persecution comes along and people are offended and the word doesn't bring forth fruit. And then some of it goes into the soil, but the thorns come in there. He said that's the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. And it just comes in there and chokes the word and it doesn't uh, bring forth a crop. But he said, now some of it will fall on good ground, and that's well-prepared hearts ready to receive the word of God. Excited and enthused about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And those people that receive the word like that that's sown are going to bring forth a harvest that is 100%. Some of them, maybe not 30, some of them, maybe not quite 100, maybe 30, 60. But it has the potential to bring forth 100%. I just want to encourage you today, as the Lord sows the word into our hearts through our brother, let's look forward to a bountiful, bountiful harvest and share that word with others that they can look forward to it too. I want to take prayer requests before we go to prayer. Brother Cody, I'm going to call on you to pray. Prayer requests or praise reports.
Now everybody must be doing wonderful today and not even willing to speak about it. Well, I do think that we definitely this morning we want to hold Brother Andrew before the Lord in prayer. Let's remember to do that. Uh, let's just go to prayer, Cody.
Well, I want to say it's a pleasure to have with us this morning Brother Andrew Miller and his wife Rachel and their family from the West Fulton Congregation in Northern Ohio. He's consented to come and be with us to give us our harvest meeting messages, and uh, we're thankful for that. Blessings on your time here, Brother Andrew. Well, good morning again. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 9, a few verses here. And I don't mean to scare you, but if you were here last night, I had two pages. And today I have four. So, I'll try to get through what I have here quickly. Last night we talked about being on the right side. Are you ready to be a partaker in the harvest? Are you saved? Are you ready to do God's work? Because we can't do God's work if we are not accepted into his kingdom. And I had one more story that I was just thinking about that I should probably share before we get started today. About five, maybe six years ago, there was a young man with a young family. This young man, all of a sudden, got very sick. It took almost four months to figure out what was wrong. And in those four months' time, this young man went from being a young, healthy, strong father to someone who could barely walk. Finally, they figured out what the problem was. It was a type of cancer requiring treatment. And I don't know much about the treatment for cancer, but the stuff that they were putting into this young man's body was very, very dangerous. It had to go in very, very slowly. And then when, you, when they handled the stuff, they had to use extra protective equipment so that they would not get hurt themselves, some type of chemotherapy. And I remember sitting in the hospital with this young man, and I heard this young man say to me, he said, I'm not scared to die. I'm ready. I just don't want to leave my family behind. This young man was my brother. Four years younger than me. You know, and that was probably one of the lowest points of my life sitting there not knowing if I would see him next time I came not knowing if he would be there but there was that hope that if this was it he was ready and that's where we need to be in order to learn our lesson today thankfully the chemotherapy worked and five or six years later I can't remember exactly he's very he's doing well and healthy and we thank the Lord for that we're very very thankful 
So this morning, we first of all need to be ready. Hopefully we are. So we're going to focus more on what we need to do if we are ready. So we're, we're kind of assuming that we've already made that decision. If you haven't, you need to make that decision. But we're assuming that we've made that decision, now we're getting ready. And we're going to answer a few questions because when you hear about an event, you want to know who, you want to know what, you want to know why, you want to know when. Okay, you want to know all these questions. You can't just tell someone something. You've got to provide more details. So we're going to look at some of those questions. We're going to read a few verses here, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We read just a very short section of that last night. The laborers are few. And hopefully, again, you are one of those laborers. You are ready to go. So the first question we want to look at is who is the harvest? So again, we're, we're, we're take, making that assumption that we have already been harvested. We have all, God has already worked in our lives and we're getting ready to continue his work. Who is the harvest? And I just simply put, anyone who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the simplest way. The poor people, the rich people. You know, we're in a very political time in our country. So I put down the Democrats and the Republicans. Okay, because, you know, we can think, you know, one side's better than the other. And most times it's neither side that's really doing that good. But let's look here at who Jesus is reaching out to. He had compassion on them, it says. It says he was, when he saw the multitudes, in verse 36, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Who were these people? It doesn't say he picked out a, a select few out of the multitude. That, oh, let's pick out these people over here. And we're going to minister to them. I feel sorry for them because they're poor or because this or that. He did not pick and choose out of the multitude. So when he saw the multitude, I'm imagining that there's some poor people in here. There's some rich people in here. There's some Democrats. There's some Republicans in this multitude. There's no one excluded. We already know he's been to the synagogues. He's taught there. They rejected him. He didn't stop and give up. He kept going to anyone who would listen. And he saw the need. He saw who the harvest was. And he can see it in a way that we can't. But we need to ask him for help to see who it is. Went about teaching in the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He went everywhere, wherever he could go, to teach, to preach, to heal. Who is the harvest? It's everyone around us that is not, does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The next question I have written here is, what is the harvest? And we heard a, you know, some different um, descriptions of the harvest, some, maybe a wheat field and some, some different things. But what exactly is it? And, you know, I like to use technology as much as I can. And I think we're talking about souls here. Okay, we're talking about souls and harvesting souls. So, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to Google soul harvest and see what happens. And I'm not much into games or anything like that. I'm not much into a lot of social media either. But I do use technology for, in a lot of ways. Hopefully I can use them in proper ways and ways to glorify God. But a simple search of Soul Harvest, first thing that comes up, I don't know if you guys remember the Left Behind books, there's a book called Soul Harvest. That's the first thing that comes up. And I think I read that years ago. But there were a whole lot more listings for some type of video game. And I don't remember what exactly it was called. So I was like, well, I'm going to just read a little bit about it. Um, this video game is supposedly, and maybe some of you know what it is, I don't know. It's supposedly based in hell, and you're battling people for each other, battling each other for souls. And it doesn't make sense because it says it said then something about you can then use these souls that you capture to send your enemies into oblivion. And it makes no sense to me because in my mind, hell is oblivion. I think that the harvest is a battle between good and evil for souls. It's not a video game, but I would venture to say that anyone playing that video game, it's going to be a battle to bring them to Jesus, to where they need to be. I just cannot, in my mind, comprehend why you would want to put yourself in that situation or in, in, a, in a game where you're where it's supposedly based in hell. I, it, it, it blows my mind. But it reinforces that the battle is real. It is real. There are people who think it's just fun and games. Who think it's just, it's, they, they want to make fun of it. They want to make light of it. But you know what? Somewhere deep down, they probably know that there is actually a hell and there is a heaven. What is the harvest? It's a battle for souls. How do we know it's a battle? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, 
If we were to let a lion loose in here, that lion would probably be able to hurt quite a few people. We don't have a lot of protection until we get through the doors. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And the sad part about it is, people that are being devoured probably don't even realize it. If I saw a lion come through a door or something over there, I'd probably start running. But if you don't even know, if you can't even see it, let's just imagine it was totally dark in here. And you couldn't even see the doors or no exit signs. And then you let one loose. How many of us would make it out? That's pretty much what I think the world is like. They have no idea where to go, where to turn. And that's why we need to be ready. Because we can guide them and shine that light that they need. Another question. When is the harvest? When is it? Ecclesiastes 11, 4 through 6 says, Those who wait for perfect weather will never plant seeds. Those who look at every cloud will never harvest crops. You don't know where the wind will blow, and you don't know how a baby grows inside the mother. In the same way, you don't know what God is doing or how he created everything. Plant early in the morning and work until evening because you don't know if this or that will succeed. They might both do well. I'm not sure if it's a matter of waiting for the perfect time or if it's a matter of procrastination, but a lot of times you want to wait for good weather for certain things or you want to wait for just the perfect time for, for, for something. And you know what? We don't live in a perfect world. Now, obviously, we do have some ideal conditions if we're talking physical planting. You don't want to start planting your seeds in December in this part of the world. Probably not going to work out so well. Unless it's some type of winter crop that is supposed to do good or something. But So we do have to wait for certain times if we're talking physical crops. But here it says if you're waiting for that perfect time, the exact perfect time, time of day, weather, moisture, whatever you're probably not going to ever plant and you're never going to have a harvest. You know, we are blessed because we can now have some type of forecast. We can get an idea and plan ahead. But ultimately, we don't know where the wind will blow. We don't know where a storm is going to come through. If we knew where a storm was going to come through, we wouldn't have planted that field with corn and then see it all flattened. We wouldn't have done that. I don't think. We don't know. But what we do know is that we need to do what God called us to do. Plant early in the morning and work until evening. Don't sit around being lazy. That's something that I like to do sometimes. You know, you wake up late, go to bed late, you know, whatever, if you don't have to work the next day or different things it's it's just nice to relax but relaxing gets old pretty quick 
Plant early in the morning, work until evening, because you don't know if this or that will succeed. They might both do well. Ecclesiastes, that was 11, 4 through 6. This verse was also alluded to, or read, um, I think it was maybe a different, different section. John 4.35, Say ye not, there are four, yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, ready to harvest. When is the harvest? It's right now. Why, are, why am I worried about it? What do I need to do to be ready? How? So we, we, we're looking at a few questions. Another question is how? How do I get ready? Well, last night we looked at that to make sure we are ready, but there's other ways we can get ready for the harvest. Last night I mentioned my uncle. And you know how... At only 12 years old, up until that time, he had spoke little bits of truth into my life. And I'm not giving him all the credit for why I made that decision, but he was someone God used to get me on the right path. Obviously, there were many others, maybe my parents, maybe my sister, maybe you know people at church, but most of us can probably think of someone that really influenced us. You know, a few people asked, and I thought I would mention it. Um, they were wondering, and I meant to mention it last night, uh, what my uncle's name was. And some people, I think, maybe knew him. His name was Brian. And I now have a son named Brian. And someone also asked if my brother was influenced by this same uncle. And I don't, I can't say exactly how much, but I do know this. My brother has a son, and he was contemplating naming his son Brian as well. So this Uncle Brian was a big influence in our lives. What do we do with that? When someone has influenced our lives, then what? How do we get ready for the harvest? How do we prepare people for the harvest? If maybe they aren't there yet, how do we get them? How do we move them along the line? Obviously, God is the only one that can get us where we need to be. But God can use us to get people along the way. Years ago, I had a cousin that wrote a story for her school. And I don't remember what grade it was. And the story was, they were supposed to write about their hero. And I'm not trying to say this to, in a, in a bragging way. It's not at all what I'm saying. But I read that letter and about made me tear up. Because I had no idea that I was that little girl's hero. That little girl was one year old when her uncle Brian, when her, dad, when her father, my uncle Brian, was killed. 
And I knew what he had meant in my life. And I wanted to do what I could, even though I was only 12 years old, and all the way up till I was maybe 18, 19, do what I could to influence my cousin's lives in a, in a way that would be along the right path. You know, it's not about being some super special hero. It's not about, not about that. It's about time. It's about energy. It's about pushing people, encouraging people, doing things with them, doing things for them. I mean, it could look different for each person. It could be taking someone fishing. It could be taking someone hunting. It could be taking them and playing baseball with them. That's something I would struggle with because I do not like baseball. I don't know why. But, you know, it's not about what I like. It's about that time. It's about encouraging and spending that time, not because it's something you necessarily like to do, but it's something they like to do and being there for them. You know, and I'm, I'm thankful for the church that my aunt was involved in. Because I don't know how old she was, but she had three little children. Her boys were three, and her daughter was one. And they had no father. But the church she was a part of saw that it was important that they have a father figure in their life. And they would take turns doing stuff with her children to get that influence in their life. And a few years later, she met a man who had lost his wife to cancer. And God took a sad story and gave them a new father, and it turned out very beautiful. But there's people in our lives that convince, that, that push us, that move us, that shape us. There's another boy that I knew growing up, growing up, and we'll just call him Randy. And I didn't really know him that well. He, I think my another aunt and uncle knew him pretty well. They went to the different um, a church there near where my mom grew up. And uh, my mom's uncle passed away. And this may be may seem insignificant, but I don't think it really is. And this Randy, with no relation, they asked him if, for some reason if he wanted to be one of the pallbearers. And he said he would love to. And it just confused me because you know, they, usually that's you know, something that the children or grandchildren or, you know, would do. And I didn't know, but this uncle, great uncle in my case, would take time with young kids, maybe at because they were involved in, they had animals, and they were involved in 4-H and things like that, and would stay up late with them, playing with these young kids. You know, slowly influencing their lives. Taking that time to be with them, encouraging them. And I just thought that was so neat, because I, that, this, this particular uncle was not someone I saw very often, and I just never would have thought or known that about this person. God can use us in so many different ways. You never know how what you say and do will impact someone's life. How do we prepare people or how do we get ready for the harvest? I just wrote down a, a short uh, line here. 
This is from a, a song. It says, it's the prayer in an empty room or little things you do when nobody's around. I think that's so true. But it can be other things as well. We don't know how we're going to influence someone, how we're going to impact their lives. But we need to be ready to do so. <clears throat> As with anything, you know, whatever you're learning, whatever you're being taught, whatever you're being told, there's always this question. And sometimes I need to be careful because sometimes it annoys me. Anyone know what question I'm talking about? Why? Go clean your room. Why? Go do... Thinking about with my children, sometimes, it, sometimes the why bothers me. But you know what? I need to be careful because sometimes, yes, what I said, you need to do it. That's good enough. You don't necessarily need to know why. But I also need to be willing to share why. Because if they're just doing, if I'm just telling people to do something all the time and I never explain why, they may end up turning away from that or they may question everything that I do or that I even care. Why should we care about the harvest? John 4, 36 through 38 says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is one saying is that and herein is that saying true, one soweth, another reapeth. I sent you to reap, whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. I thought that's very, very interesting, and this was mentioned in the opening. We might reap where someone else sowed. Well, that's not fair. You know, that's another thing that bothers me. That's not fair. No, it's not fair. You want to know what fair is? I can give you some, <laughs> some good examples of fair. <laughs> um, that's not fair. Well, I think what this, what this really tells me is it's not about me. It's not about you. Yes, we need to do what God called us to do. We need to work. We need to get people ready. But ultimately, we don't need to be the one up there counting. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, five. I'm good for the day. Talk to five people or talk to one person or whatever it is. It's not about who's the most successful. It's not about who worked the most hours. It's about obeying the word of God. And leading and encouraging souls. Why? Because we're going to gather fruit unto eternal life. That's in, that's in verse 36 there. Why else would we care? Why would I care about trying to encourage someone or trying to push someone along the way? We hear a lot about happiness and being happy. And if you drive from Ohio to Pennsylvania, the sign when you enter Pennsylvania would used to say, I think you used to have the governor's name on, 
and also used to say the Keystone State. It's just kind of the motto. Every state has some type of motto. Does anyone know what it says now? Does anyone pay attention if they drive in Pennsylvania? Yeah, it says pursue your happiness. It doesn't say the pursue your happiness state, but on the board it says pursue your happiness. You know, and that's, that might sound all nice and warm and fuzzy, you know. Oh, we're going to go to Pennsylvania so we can, we can be happy here maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> but I guarantee you, putting those letters on that board did not make any more people happy than they, than they had before. <clears throat> What will make us happy? What will give us joy? 1 John 4, or 1 John 1, 4 and 5. It says, I have no greater joy than to pursue my own happiness. No. That's not how it works. I have no greater joy than to hear what? That my children walk in truth. How powerful is that? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are pursuing their happiness. How warm and fuzzy would that make you feel? It might make you warm and fuzzy. I don't know. But how is it going to actually help <clears throat> your life? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Another reason we should care is because it will bring joy and happiness into your life in a way that pursuing your happiness will never bring you. You know, pursuing your own happiness, that makes it about yourself. And it's so interesting that when you learn to share and give, how happy and how joyful that makes you. Keeping things to yourself does not bring about happiness. It brings about loneliness and sadness and sometimes even bitterness. Another reason, going back to Matthew 9, the last few verses there, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. It says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. <clears throat> Why should we care? We're going to gather fruit to eternal life. It's going to bring us joy like, and happiness like we cannot find anywhere else. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Does that mean everything's going to work out perfectly? No. No, it's not. As we've heard in the several stories, life is full of sadness and suffering. It's not about the sadness and suffering. It's about the end goal. I also believe it is a commandment. Jesus says to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. He left us that example to follow. Why should I care? Because Jesus cared. He cared for me. <clears throat> There's a song that I was thinking of. When you think about influencing people, 
and changing lives. You know, you might think of some names like this person. Wow, look at what they did. They're, they're really in with the youth or they really know how to be encouraging to this person or they really know what to say at the right time. And I just really, really wish I could be that person or really be like that person. And, you know, there's times where I'll see someone else and see how they interact with other people and say, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I was that good or wish I was whatever. But again, it's not about being someone else. It's about doing what God called us to do. And I think most of you probably know this song. And I think this kind of makes it simplifies things a little bit for us. It's just called Thank You. I'm just going to read it here. It says, I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he can, came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus, in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. One by one they came, far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. And I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, My child, look around you, for great is your reward. It's not about being someone else. It's not about having a lot of money. It's not about saying things in the most eloquent way. It's not about being good at volleyball. It's not about being good at whatever. It's about giving to the Lord. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. It doesn't matter if you're maybe in prison, maybe you're, you feel bound by something else. Maybe you live in a country that's not a free country like we have here. We might feel like our freedoms have been squelched upon quite a bit this year. It doesn't matter if you're bond, if you're a slave, if you're free. Whatever good thing you do and do in the name of the Lord, the same will you receive of the Lord. 
We don't have to live in a free country. We don't need to be rich. We don't need to be poor. But we will receive our reward because Jesus said we will. Who is the harvest? Anyone who doesn't know Jesus or who has slipped away. What is the harvest? I think it's a spiritual battle for souls. When is the harvest? It's right now. How? By simply listening to God and doing what he tells you to do. Why? Because eternal souls are at stake. And also because your reward will be in heaven. What shall we sing?